0: claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply.
1: The culture is the culture. It's 4-6A to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State.
2: Welcome back to the latest edition episode Of Four to six with a and B. I'm here with my main man, Bill Landis, I'm Ari Wasserman, and we're in beautiful Davenport, Iowa, right now.
1: It is beautiful. It's a nice little town. We drove. Did we say we drove? I think we told him we were driving. we're dumb. We drove, so we're we're still not back in Columbus. But, for whatever
2: reason, there is one of the most beautiful Marriott boutique hotels in Davenport, Iowa, for a steamy rate of $125 a night, but it actually looks like a boutique hotel you'd
1: find in Manhattan. It's like chic is that the word? Yeah, it seems no offense to uh, to the Quad cities area if anyone listening is from uh, from the quad cities. it feels like it doesn't belong here.
2: It does not belong here and the reason why I know it doesn't belong here is because the bathrooms have bidets in them
1: Yes, they do. They also have uh, televisions in the bathroom mirrors, which is sweet. But the bidets a total game What danger. do you think
2: is the percentage of population of Davenport, Iowa that has a bidet in their home?
1: How many rooms are in this hotel and then how many houses are in <laughs> Davenport? It's that.
2: <laughs> I was just discussing this. We're not going to get too in-depth about uh, bidets. Um, but I do know for a fact that if I had one in my home, I would use it daily. And I don't know why America is the only country or one of the only countries. Not that I've been everywhere, but does not employ these? Uh, in everybody's home because it's quite practical.
1: Yeah, it's like a European thing. I think they're they're in Asia a lot too. I've, yeah. never, I've never been to Asia, but that's what I've heard. Um, yeah, yeah. It seems like it should be in every home. Yeah, I think when I'm president, my first act will be to put it. That's day your in platform. Yeah.
2: Well, both of us uh, independently went on Amazon to see how much they cost to install in your home. They are uh,
1: expensive. <laughs> they are very
2: expensive, but I think they're also quite worth it. Um, okay. Speaking of toilet bowls, <laughs> uh, last after the game, Landis and I stayed in the press box. We were one of the last ones to leave because we were working, and uh, we were staying in Omaha, which is an hour away from the stadium for some reason. Um, and we didn't get home till 3 in the morning, so I'm getting to this because when you sleep in after working all night, you wake up around uh, noon local time, which is 1 o'clock, and I had ESPN on because I fell asleep to the Sports Center highlights, and it was the college football show, the the daily show they do during the beginning of the NFL games at 1 o'clock every Sunday. And nobody's watching that because everybody's watching the NFL, but I accidentally watched it, and I caught Heather Denich's top. There's a noise happening in here, and it sounds like somebody flushed a toilet upstairs. Sorry about that. It's outside. It's construction.
1: Um, I'll be surprised if they can hear it. 4...
2: She released her top six for the playoff. Is it too early to discuss playoff?
1: It's never too early to discuss the playoff.
2: And I wanted to discuss that with you because I felt uh, passionate about it. Um, Heather Dinich, top six of her current playoff rankings if uh, they were released today. Uh, Alabama, number one. Auburn, number two. LSU, number three. Georgia, number four. Clemson, number five. Ohio State, number six. And we're going to get into the context of where Ohio State fits into the national discussion throughout this podcast. But I thought this was a good way to begin because we cover Ohio State, and it's never too soon to talk about the college football playoff. Bill, what were your initial thoughts of that?
1: I was surprised that Ohio State was six. Um, I th- a lot of the discussion coming out of the of the Nebraska game was whether or not Ohio State, Ohio State, Ohio State, is the best team in the country. I think there's an argument to be made that they are, you know, like pound for pound perhaps the best team in the country. I don't think they should be ranked number 1. Relax, man. It's okay. It's just outside. It's just some guy doing the pavement out there. The pipes are I'm gonna relaxed. Burn. The pipes, I uh I'm just distracted by it. The Sorry. pipes in the bidet are aren't going to burst in here. Um I think that I think it's possible that on paper Ohio State is pound for pound the best team in the country. They don't deserve to be ranked number 1, I don't think at the moment because I think that who you play matters. In the end a lot of things matter, but I think right now I would err on the side of who have you beaten, who has the best wins, because there are still a lot of undefeated teams. Um, so I wouldn't put Ohio State number one based on that criteria, but I also wouldn't have them number six. I think the only teams that I would listen to for you to make like a, a sound argument based on the schedule, which I think factors heavily into this, are LSU because it beat Texas on the road and Georgia because it beat a good Notre Dame team at home, and then I think Ohio State could be third. And I think Ohio State probably should be third, even if you think Clemson and Alabama might be better and Oklahoma might be better, I think Ohio State is playing better than all those If teams.
2: you're doing this right, you have to vow that last year doesn't matter in your mind. Correct. And I think we're humans, and I think it always will, because it's impossible to say, hey, Clemson won the national title last year, they're struggling this year, but you've seen them at their best, and that does have an impact on the way you view what they can do. But there are some inconsistencies, because if you're Heather Dinich. Who does a very good job, not coming down on her at all, but if you're using the criteria for best wins or schedule, then be consistent with it. And I don't think she's very consistent in either either one. You put Ohio sticks Ohio State six because you think they haven't played anybody. That makes sense, but then you can't put Alabama number one because they don't have a quality win either.
1: Yeah, I'll, so Alabama's best. Alabama played Duke, which is fine, and it beat South Carolina. It beat Ole Miss. And won all those games handily, but I think if you talk to some folks in Alabama, there are reasons for concern yeah. about Alabama's defense. And like,
2: if we're going to do the eye test, then Ohio State should be ranked higher. And if we're going to do strength of schedule, then they should be down there with Ohio State. By these rankings, I think LSU probably has the best win in the country right now, right? Or Georgia.
1: I think Georgia has the best win. I think Notre, either way, I think one Notre and Dame's two. Those
2: should be the one and twos, right? If yes, you're going to do it absolutely. that way, based on schedule, based on, on this ones. season, based on what you've done on that resume, you put those two teams one and two because they've got the best wins. Mm-hmm. And then when you start getting into the territory for for eye test, I would put Ohio State number three because I think they've unequivocally looked the best complete product of any team in college football this year. And that's where I would put them.
1: Number three. Number three. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I think if you want to put them number one, you could. I'm just look. The the thing that's difficult about this, and like we're gonna get, this is gonna end up being at least the moment like heavy playoff talk when we get. It's not even October yet. We understand that, Um, but I think it's where Ohio State has positioned itself. I think this is what we need to be talking about.
2: And we're gonna be comparing them all year. The context is gonna be these teams on this list here. Yeah, it's not.
1: Yeah. So we don't know. I always get frustrated during the, the playoff show and the playoff call when they talk about strength of schedule. But well, we don't know what metric for strength of schedule they're using because there are multiple and they're all different.
2: Which is the most and bi- the most egregious and biggest flaw in the entire system, in my right. opinion. So yeah. I'm
1: just looking at at the Sagarin computer ratings right now. That used to be part of the old BCS model, um, and they're still posted on USA Today. Ohio State's strength of schedule is 22nd. Alabama's is 46th. Oklahoma's is 43rd. Uh, Clemson's is 32nd so like of those four teams that you would bunch together and say they're undefeated but they haven't played anybody Ohio State by this model has the toughest schedule
2: and this model is the cumulative schedule not just what they've played correct so the cumulative schedule I don't even feel like you can take strength of total schedule into consideration until you've played the whole schedule because Ohio State hasn't played the teams that have made them number twenty two. Yeah, yet. but
1: I also I also think part of what creeps into the mind of of people sometimes when we're talking about this is looking ahead at the people. I don't. Obviously, the SEC always gets bonus points. Sometimes it's deserved. Sometimes it's not. And I think that's why Alabama is still number one because they're in the SEC. When in fact, at least by looking at this, their schedule does not bear out to be all that tough. Now they still play LSU and they still play Auburn, and they're both very good teams. But Ohio State plays Penn State. Ohio State plays Michigan State, which is currently ranked. Ohio State still plays Michigan, which you get things turned around. It plays Wisconsin. Like, there's Ohio State doesn't have like an easy path to the playoff, but I think sometimes it might get dinged at this point in the conversation because people might view that they do.
2: The things that drive me nuts about the playoff, and we're on the playoff call every year, we do these updates because Ohio State has had one loss, and it's been kind of hard, is the inconsistency in the way teams are ranked. If you want to do it one way – then do it that way. If you want to do it the other way, then do it the other way. But when they're jumbled, it's really hard to follow. Because what metric would you say that Heather is following here? Is it eye test? Is it strength of schedule? Is it resume? Because if if we're talking eye test, Ohio State has scored a million points and has given up very little points. Has looked solid across the board. And I would say, and we watch a lot of college football. We were just joking. You know, it's all we do all week. And, you know, we watch replays on YouTube. But I, th- I feel like we have a very good understanding of the way teams look and the way the sport is across the board because we're always comparing Ohio State in the context of the best teams in the country. I think they've looked the best.
1: Yeah, so I'm looking at the... I mean Heather Dennis works for ESPN, and the show we were watching was an ESPN show, so they're going to use ESPN's metrics and the and ESPN's football power index, which is totally nebulous, and I don't, even know, I don't understand it. Um, Ohio State's strength of record is fifth, and Alabama's is third, so maybe that's what's what's happening here. Clemson's strength of record is fourth. Uh, George's is second. So Ohio State is outside of the top f- top four in that metric. Maybe that's all it is. So then the playoff rankings are the strength of record rankings? I mean, they're personal playoff rankings that are meant to uh, publicize the fact that ESPN has this college football metric that no one understands Yeah. So far.
2: Which maybe means that we're at the end of the road of talking about this, but I no
1: no I, I don't we're not at the end of the road of talking about Ohio State in a playoff context. But I, I also don't I mean let's not let's not talk for fifty minutes about one person's playoff rankings. No no when I terrible. said this
2: I meant hers. Yeah, um, I think right now the real question is from that Nebraska win, which was a systematic beatdown um, of epic proportions. Um, what is your
1: take on Ohio State and how they got to this point? I'm not ready to say they're the best team in the country. Um, I just don't think – I don't think they've been tested quite enough for me to say that. Now, I do think – I'm not going to back off what I said coming into the Nebraska game. Uh, I picked Nebraska to cover, and I said if Ohio State destroys them, then that will mean a lot. Um, And I I stick by that. I think Nebraska's offense – is good and potentially very good, and they could not do anything against Ohio State's defense to the point where the only time they had success was reverting to wishbone triple option stuff, and that's not really going to cut it, especially when you're down two scores in the first quarter. So um, what Nebraska wants to – either Nebraska felt like it couldn't do what it wanted to do or it soon learned that it couldn't do what it wanted to do, so it started to go into a a bag of tricks and – a very good quarterback, in my opinion, and Adrian Martinez and good skill position players and probably just an okay offensive line, but a good play caller and, and a good offensive staff um, got totally outclassed by Ohio State. I think that matters. Um, this is, this will probably end up being the second best offense Ohio State plays this year, at least the second most diverse. Even Wisconsin might be better, but Wisconsin does one thing. Um, Penn State will be the best. And uh, I came in mostly wanting to learn about just how good Ohio State's defense is. And I think it's very good. I think it's elite. Um, I thought that coming in, but this just, this just further verified it. But I still don't 100% know that about the offense, and that might sound crazy considering how well they've played. Um, they just haven't played a great defense yet, and I think they will this week when they play Michigan State. So it's it's kind of weird the schedule sets up. You get a really good test for your defense against Nebraska. You get a really good test for your offense against Michigan State, and then you get a bye, and everyone gets to sort of assess the, the larger picture after uh, what will be seven games or six games. Um, and then maybe I'll be able be ready to say that. Uh, but they're certainly they're, – they're playoff caliber. They're in that conversation for best team. I don't know who the best team is, and that's part of the problem too, but but I would listen to an argument for Ohio State. I'm just not going to go there yet.
2: Guys, this is the latest episode of 4-6 to 6 with A&B. Uh, this is the free episode on all of the podcast platforms. Stitcher is the one I say first now because it's the one I know the least amount about, but Apple Music, Spotify – uh, wherever you get your podcast, please rate, subscribe, review. We really appreciate you being here. And of course, the best, most important compliment would be to just subscribe to The Athletic, support The Athletic, support our work and, and interact with us uh, both in podcast form and in writing form. You can do that at athletic.com slash 4-6 and you get 40% off on that link. And we'd love if you kept us employed, which is the thing we say every week on the podcast.
1: It does matter. Help us buy a bidet. Is that too much to ask?
2: I might change my uh, Twitter bio to that.
1: I can't buy it. but You know I... what
2: the Nebraska game did for me, Bill? The Nebraska game changed my perception. I always felt, based on the Bible or the 247 talent rankings, uh, that Ohio State was a national championship contender. What happened in that game for me was I felt like now Ohio State belongs in the same field as Alabama and Clemson think whether or not we say they're the best team in college football it's kind of subjective at the end of September it doesn't matter whether the best team in college football right now but what I do think happened is there was a transformation in my brain that thought this team actually could play and potentially beat one of those two teams and I don't think that any of us would think that at the beginning of the year and the way that they've been playing both sides of the ball has kind of made that shift to me are you there with me on that
1: I am what uh what's the what's been the greatest revelation in that in that Change of thought for you.
2: Offensive game planning. Um, the emergence of Justin Fields. which What's, I the, think what's
1: at the very top of the list?
2: What's Justin the, Fields it? is a hell of a lot better than I thought he was going to be. I'm at the point now where I'm completely blown away by how good he is. Then at the beginning of the year, I was like, you know, we review this every week. But I am blown away by how accurate he is, how fast the ball comes off of his hand once his six-second wind-up is done. <laughs> How smart he is. He has no turnovers. We'll talk about... Does that backward pass count? Do we ever figure that out in the first game or the second game?
1: You know what? I don't know who that gets attributed to. Uh, Let me look it up.
2: Yeah, you can look that up. Uh, But he's putting balls in the perfect place. He's been... And the number one thing that you worry about with a sophomore is put pressing and making bad decisions. I think he's been a tremendous decision maker. He oozes with athleticism. He's a great runner on the first drive of that Nebraska game. They covered every single wide receiver uh, Ohio State had. Uh, they they were all over him, and Fields waited his time, saw the middle of the field open up, and then ran for a touchdown. It's perfect defense, and he still scored. Uh, Ohio State's defense is obviously a huge part of this equation. Because you don't get to where you need to go in that in that context without having a great defense. But the fact that they have Justin Fields playing the way that he is is what changes this entire game for me. And we were driving yesterday. Does Ohio State have a better quarterback than Georgia? The fact that I could even
1: ask that question right now is the entire shift in my mind frame. I mean, Georgia probably has the better quarterback for what it wants to do. But my counter to that would be then change your offense. Um, if you did a if
2: you did a draft and you asked a hundred people, hundred random college football fans, you're starting your team. What quarterback do you want? And you had to pick Fromm or Justin Fields. I bet you ninety percent of people would pick Fields.
1: Are these people, for one season? Yeah, yeah. Coach, I, I wonder what coaches would pick. That's an interesting question because Jake Fromm is probably like a little bit of a game manager, and he's not flashy at all. But
2: I mean, he might smart. be. A, he's probably going to be a first round draft pick in the NFL. Uh, draft. I mean, I don't know. I've seen him projected there. The fact maybe, that he's in the conversation, maybe. let's not act like he's not good. He is good. Not that, not that either of sure. us were, but he, he's a really good football player. But if you had to win a college football game or prepare, maybe not one game is the right term yet because field still is only you know five games into his career, but... If you had one season with one guy to win a national championship and you got to pick your perfect team and you could pick one of the two quarterbacks, I'd pick Justin Fields.
1: Yeah, well, even if you expanded it and said, like, we're doing a draft, you can tra- you can draft any quarterbacks in college football. You might take Lawrence and you might take Tua 1-2. But then you'd probably take Fields third, right? The Fields I've seen.
2: And I'm really excited now. Joe Burrow
1: be in that conversation. He's yeah, really Joe well. Burrow is in that conversation. Jalen Hurts. I don't know.
2: Um, Jalen Hurts is also in that conversation, obviously. The fact that it's Jake not that Fromm they're in the not, conversation. Com,
1: the, the, the point is that Jake Fromm would not be. He'd be, he'd be far down – not far down the list, but five or six or seven yeah. down the list. And the
2: thing that, that's most interesting is it's not that those guys are in the conversation. It's that Justin Fields is. Right. Um, And that's uh, why my perspective changed. And It was funny because you said coming into this week that if Ohio State beat the crap out of Nebraska – that your perspective might change or that was a very valuable win to you in your eyes. Regardless of how good Nebraska is, they were good enough with the offensive skill that they had to prove that the defense was an elite-level defense, and of course the offense continued humming. That would That's correct? Yep. I think now, as we said, I, I think Michigan State coming into Ohio Stadium for a night game, which is a blackout, by the way. The fans and the gear will be blacked out. And I think Michigan State is Nebraska. It's just flipped.
1: It's, the inverse, of it's the inverse
2: of Nebraska. It has got a very good defense, or traditionally good defense, and it has that stud defensive end, um, Kenny Willickus, who I think will be a very good test for Ohio State's uh, tackles. Um, offense is terrible, and I think it was kind of the op the opposite. Um, and I think Michigan State's defense is better than Nebraska's offense. Did that make sense? Yes, they're better at defense than Nebraska is better at offense.
1: These are unbalanced teams, or, or Nebraska, and Michigan State. One is one is a good offensive team, one is a good defensive team, and the good defensive team is a better version of that than the offense right. team is of itself. Yes. So
2: we're going to get another sample size of whether or not this offense is where we think it is. The defense got their big test last week. Now the offense is getting their big test this week.
1: Yeah, I think th- I think this is. It was funny. I was talking with Jeff Halfley after the game. Um, on Saturday, just asking about what it meant to come against that Nebraska offense and seeing whether or not he would admit that that it was a big deal one to plan for it, but then two to play the way they did against against that collection of of offensive talent and Scott Frost. And he said several times, and I was glad that he was candid about it. He said several times, you know, like this this was the one, not the one in the sense like they think that they're they're cool now and they can coast the rest of the way, but this was this was the first game on the schedule where you could look at it and go like, well, we've reshaped this entire defense this game's going to be the, the, the proof of whether or not we got it right. And clearly they did. We'll see what happens the rest of the year. But I, I'm very confident in saying Ohio State has an elite defense and will not revert back to looking like anything it was last year. Uh, I think Michigan State is the same for Ohio State's offense. Um, Cincinnati's got a, got a good defense, and Indiana, I think, is usually a pretty good defensive team. But Michigan's – Mark D'Antonio has built his program on a basically like a rigid defensive philosophy that Urban Meyer loved so much, he stole it in 2014, and Ohio State and won a national championship with it. They're going to contest every single ball Justin Fields throws. They're going to load up and try to stop the run, and it's not it's not like you can't crack it. J.T. Barrett cracked it in 2014. Ohio State destroyed Michigan State in 2017, but there've also been close games because Michigan State. Historically, at least under Antonio, has been a very good defensive program. And I don't know if any of us knew quite what Ohio State's offense was going to be coming into this year. Um, and it probably looks a little different than what most of us expected just in terms of scheme and then what Larry was saying about Justin Fields and the way he's played um, and maybe how much they're running the ball instead of throwing it around the yard uh, like they did last year. Uh, but even with all that, like Michigan State has answers for all that stuff. Um, I think Ohio State's offense is very good. I'm not on a heightened level of concern going into Saturday. But I'll, I'll say... Well, what I said about Ohio State's defense going into Nebraska is also true for Ohio State's offense going into this week. If they come out of this weekend and look like they've looked all year, they're awesome. And they probably are the best team in the country.
2: Landis. Yeah. Who's the number one team in the country right now in total defense? And if you've already looked up the stats... It's stacks. Wisconsin, but Michigan State's defense is better. I know, but... Did you look that up, or did you know that? Because I just looked at it, and I I was like, what? I look at
1: at that stuff every week.
2: Um, Wisconsin has 244 plays. Michigan State, which ranks number seven, is 323. and I think that's a byproduct of their offense can't get a first down.
1: Yeah. I'll take take Michigan State's defense. Michigan State's defense,
2: regardless of whether they're one or seven, is back in that top ten again. Um, And they're allowing 253.8 yards per play. Um,
1: And are just good. And they're always good. Yeah, that's a good point to make. If you look at the stats, Wisconsin's defense is better. Michigan State, I think, has better athletes and has like played better competition with the exception of Michigan. But Wisconsin's defense looked very good against Michigan. Michigan has no idea what it's doing offensively. Um, I think Michigan State's defense, in the end, will be better than Wisconsin. Being To be in the top
2: seven of yards allowed per game with an offense that ranks towards the bottom is actually more impressive than being number one.
1: Yeah, I think you have to factor that in how you much you're to, on the field. You're on
2: the field the entire game, which gives the other team more opportunity to put up yards, and they're only allowing 250 yards a game. Ohio State, just for context purposes, is two number two, 223.8 yards per game.
1: Michigan State is ranked number 81 in the country and plays against. If that makes sense, 323 plays for their defense is the. It ranks top 30ish in the country, top 40ish in the country for most plays. And they're number seven in total defense, and they are number six in yards per play. Meanwhile, Wisconsin's 244 defensive plays are 11th in the country. Now, part of that is you get off the field, and I think I think that matters too. But I'll take I'll take Michigan State.
2: Do you think Ohio State is has been unveiling little by little their offense and what they have? I feel like they. Put out a few new wrinkles against Nebraska uh, this past week. We saw a few plays that we hadn't seen before, some new concepts, um, and they did it all with the, the right tackle being out, which I think is a huge, monumental thing I wanted to bring up on this podcast. Yeah. Josh Allaby uh, replaced um, an injured Brandon Bowen. I know a lot of people thought uh, Nicholas petit Freer was going to go, and I wanted you to make that point before we continue on the mm-hmm. podcast, what you said about NPF in the car yesterday. Uh,
1: I don't think it says anything about the trajectory for Nick petit Frere Um it was a road game in a in what was at the beginning at least a pretty good environment, it ended up not being that because Ohio State sucked the air out of the place. But it makes total sense to me that you would play the guy who has more experience. Josh Aliby has more experience than Nick Petit Frere. Um, I think if they believed it was a long term thing with Bowen, and I don't think it is because he dressed and he was a game time decision, maybe you'd see Petit Frere play if it was a home game and then he would be the the answer moving forward. I think it's temporary, and when it's temporary, you go with what makes you a little more comfortable, and I think the older guy making you more comfortable makes sense. Plays in the Rose Bowl. Played very well in the Rose Bowl at left tackle, and then played very well against Nebraska, who was the great-at-their player of the game at right tackle. And he's proficient on the right side, of the, on both sides. That's really hard to do. Like I don't, yeah. I hope people don't overlook that, and I wrote about that in a story that's going to go up on Monday. Um, it's not easy to play both sides. It's, it's really difficult. I know guys have done it um, here before. Taylor Decker did it and was good at both. It's hard. And and Josh Allaby didn't come here as an offensive lineman. That's pretty impressive. I don't know what what's going to happen with him in his career, um, but he's been a pretty important piece for them. And you gets know, overlooked. it's funny because people
2: got fired up about my redshirt theory or the way I feel about redshirts that were kind of ingrained into my brain by Doug Lamarese at Cleveland.com, which is our annual – or, I mean, our – every episode we mention him, so that was our allotment. I Doug. Um I think redshirting is stupid, but you've got a fifth-year senior who can play both tackle spots on a team that's biggest concern during the spring was whether they had enough offensive line depth I think is an invaluable tool to have on this team, especially considering the fact that their starting right tackle has just returned from missing two years from a broken leg. So um, I just yeah. wanted to take a, a two minutes to talk about how important that was. Um, man, man, is this team good.
1: <laughs> did you lose your train of thought?
2: <laughs> no, I did. I lost my train of thought, but I also, I, I just feel like we're at this point in the season, and Ohio State is so it feels they're, they're so complete, it's almost uncomfortable because I don't like know what I would nag on, were, and I'm you were a talking nagger about whether
1: or not they've held things back offensively. That's where, and then you got the alibi. I just wanted to remind you in case. Yeah, you're yeah,
2: concerned. sure. Um, it did seem to me that they were doing that.
1: Like they were holding some stuff back.
2: Not holding stuff back, but maybe installing as they go and unveiling new things. Maybe they were holding it back, maybe they weren't, but I saw some new concepts that we hadn't seen yet.
1: Yeah, there were a couple things, which I also noted in the story that I wrote that's going to go out Monday, about Ryan Day's play calling. This is a
2: one-hour commercial for Bill's story on Monday.
1: Thank you. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash 4-6. Slash 4-6. We all knew Ryan Day was a good play caller, and I wondered about his ability to operate at that level while also being the head coach. And I wrote about it last year at the Rose Bowl, talked to Urban Meyer about it, and he was pretty staunchly against the idea of of trying to call plays while you're the head coach because there's so much else you have to worry about. It's not an easy thing to do, and guys have tried it and failed. Um, Guys have not done it to start out and then taken it over because what they, they couldn't live in a world where they gave that up. Um, We're only five day five games into this, but Ryan Day's done a really good job. And I thought some of the things he was dialing up on Saturday were interesting And I don't know if they were things that we haven't ever seen before at Ohio State, but they were things we hadn't seen this season. That uh, third down quarterback sweep they called with Justin Fields, I think looked a lot like a quarterback draw, and Nebraska acted that way, and then Field just ran around the outside for 14 yards.
2: I wanted to point out on that play that Josh Allaby went outside and ran 15 yards, didn't touch anybody, and Fields still scored with these. He
1: didn't didn't touch anybody. Uh, He was a little, little slow. But Justin Fields should be faster than Josh Allaby. Um yeah. But also the design of the play was so good that there wasn't really anybody there was out, there out there. was nobody out there. Yeah, I mean, there was nobody there. So Justin Fields just kind of ran by him and got 14 yards. And then two plays later, they lined up in a three tight end set and motioned K.J. Hill in. So it was almost like a four tight end jumbo kind of deal with an H-back mixed in there. And then Hill ran out into the flat, got caught up on the wash, was wide open, and Justin Fields threw him a touchdown pass. And, and Ramsey Nazralla of 11 Warriors called that erotic play calling. It was erotic play calling. First of all, there were three tight ends on the field. Can we take a moment and just let that sink in First, What's
2: more of an uh, appealing thing to think about for you? Uh, Australian punters who average 75 yards a
1: kick or three tight end sets? Oh, man, that's hard. I love Would You Rather's. It's a fun fact in, about me. Tune in the next week's podcast. When I, after I have a week, or next on Friday's podcast, when I have a week to think about that. Uh, no, I just love. I I love the the formational versatility that Ohio State has right now. I think it's really hard to game plan for. But on top of that, Ryan Day has has usually pressed the right buttons in terms of when to call a shot play, when to call a run, when to mix in something you haven't seen before, what to do in the red zone. Um, it's all really good. Like it's nothing. He's not reinventing the wheel, but he's done a really good job of, of operating that role while also being the head coach. Scoring um, in the
2: red zone was a huge issue for this team and part yeah. of the reason why the Purdue game went off the rails last
1: year. They were and over it seems like Ohio f- State has. And I
2: can look up the stats while you're talking about it. but
1: They're 82% on red zone touchdown percentage. It's number six in the country.
2: Collegefootballstats.com is nothing on Bill Landis' brain. Just
1: because I just looked at it earlier today. That's why I know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, 82%, which actually – it's it's not number one, which is crazy. Um, but they were they were best in the country in 2013, and it was, like, in the high 60s. Maybe it was low 70s. And they're operating at a better clip than that right now. And last year they were in the low 60s and, like, ranked in, I think, like 55th in the country, which is pretty bad for Ohio State. Um, so they're finishing drives, which is awesome. They haven't really been in a close game yet where it's mattered all that much. Um, but that's important moving forward. You got to be able to finish drives when you get down there. And they're good on offense, and they're good at, on defense of keeping teams out of the end zone. But to get back to the point, the question that, that – Set me off on this tangent. Uh, I I do get the feeling a little bit that there are things that they're that they're holding back, and I, I don't know. I guess for this entire season, really, until Ryan Day is a little more established, I think my inclination will be to compare him to Lincoln Riley and what Oklahoma is doing. There are things that Oklahoma does that I look at, and I think you look at sometimes and think like, "Oh, go Ohio State could do that. Ohio State could definitely do that stuff." A lot of stuff they could do, should should yeah. Um, now their quarterback situation is different. I get that, but. A lot of the stuff that Oklahoma does in a quarterback run game is really fun, and I think Ohio State might pull some of that stuff out down the road.
2: I'm a big misdirection guy. Yeah. I think you can do it in the run game and the passing game, and I don't think they do it that much.
1: They do a little bit. They did did more of it on Saturday where they would have um, the tight end kind of like crack down. It looked like a split zone look kind of. Um, and I think that creates some of the movement and misdirection you're looking for, but it's not it's not off the rails misdirection like you see with with Oklahoma. I love off the rails misdirection. Yeah, we're line, the, the lines to, going one way. And it's not misdirection the
2: unless the cameraman's confused.
1: I don't think the cameraman has been confused yet <laughs> um, with Ohio State's offense, but I, I do think that's in Ryan Ryan Day's bag somewhere.
2: Yeah, I think that. I think it's a good sign that Ohio State hasn't had to put their entire arm into the bag to pull something out to compete against these teams and. Do what they have to do. I mean, Max Olson, our uh, esteemed colleague at the Athletic, came and sat down. And he goes, This isn't just an ass kicking. Ohio State's not even. They're just running they're their just stuff. They're just running the stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, there was nothing special about it. Um, and that's uh, an, a testament to, I think, where they are athletically. Um, I was just confused going into the game and what I said last week about about what people viewed that game as.
1: So, yeah, I, I mean, you had the right read on what the outcome was going to be. What do you think of my read that that you should still be impressed by what that outcome was? I
2: agree with you. And Landis and I talked in the press box during the game probably more than he'd like. Um,
0: <laughs> but my initial my initial take
2: out. during the game was Nebraska sucks. Who cares? This is whatever. But I do think, and this goes back to how we opened the podcast, Um if you beat the crap out of everybody and you look complete doing it, a commenter left a a, mess, a comment on one of our stories yesterday, and he said, I've been waiting for a long time for Ohio State to look like Alabama, and they finally do. And I think that that is a very good point, because we're constantly comparing Ohio State to Alabama when they look shaky at times against these types of teams. Ohio State could have easily won 28-17 to 17 on Saturday, and you just go, well... It's an off game, or you know, whatever. However, you want to take it, but they are systematically dominating everybody they play. Nebraska has Division One legit skill position players, and they have the quarterback that might be the best quarterback Ohio State will face this year in the regular season. Granted, he didn't play that well, Adrian Martinez, but you know they have legit players. It was thirty-eight nothing at halftime, and it should have been worse. I mean, they were killing them, killing them, killing them, killing them.
1: They were trying so, to score. They were trying to put another one. In and them.
2: I do, and I do think that. My read was correct on this because everybody looked at that Nebraska game and thought, "This is year two of Scott Frost. This is a night game on the road. This is Nebraska's biggest Super Bowl game of the year, where they have to prove that the, the program's on the right track." Um, Adrian Martinez is a stud coming up on uh, you know his second year. All the things that people thought made this game close had nothing to do with how good Nebraska was. Meanwhile, I'm watching Nebraska struggle against Illinois. You know, granted turnovers. And I'm, Losing to Colorado, and it's like, are people watching this team? They suck. And maybe everybody sucks. I don't know. We can do this all year. Everybody sucks.
1: Every week we're going to come back with a take that the big Yeah, I know. If Ohio team
2: State team beats the crap out of Michigan State on Saturday, and Michigan State has eight, 80 yards of offense, we'll just come back and say Michigan State sucks. But there is only a handful of upper echelon elite-level teams, so Ohio State should and could embarrass, should embarrass those teams. So when they do, you can't penalize them for it. So I do agree. I, I, I agree with what you think. And if people have noticed the transformation – of my general viewpoint of this team, it's it's pretty positive. I mean, there's nothing to not be. Po- I mean, anybody would be this positive about this team.
1: I, yeah, it's hard not. to It's do
2: hard. It. I mean, they look amazing. There's no other way to put it. I don't care if it came against Nebraska. You know, and I. Ohio State has looked bad against bad teams in the past. They have slept through slept what. Walked, sleepwalked, sleepwalked, slept, walked, sleepwalk, sleepy talk, walk time, through games with bad teams. Even when you go back and you look at the national title game or national title season, they had some weird games. Alabama beats the crap out of everybody every week, and I think if you look like Alabama, that counts, and you don't have to beat Alabama to be in the same conversation with Alabama. You just have to look and be like Alabama. And I think Ohio State is like Alabama right now.
1: Yeah, I thought that was kind of a profound comment that I hadn't really thought of because we always compare them. Well, at least we do. It's sort of what we always done, and maybe sometimes it's people have been annoyed by it because they want to focus more on the here and now. Um, you had a good rant about that. Do you want to give your rant about that? About taking it, fans saying take it one game at a time?
2: Yeah. <laughs> if you are a fan or a writer or anybody who doesn't practice with the team, You don't need to talk about how we need to take this one game at a time. We're not watching film. We're not practicing. We're not lining up and we're not playing. We're here to analyze, discuss, and project the future. So we don't need to take it one game at a time. You don't need to take it one game at a time. You get to be a fan. You get to wonder if they're going to win the national title. You get to ask about Alabama, the comments about this doesn't matter if they don't take care of business. Of course. (laughs) Of course. We get that. That's the... That that's obvious. But the fun of watching, covering, writing, reading, ranting about sports is the ability to look ahead and talk about what things mean and we don't need to have the same approach as the coaching staff. We're not on the
1: team. I've come to play for the team.
2: I've come I've come to play for the bowling team. So you're not on the team either, but So join us in the nice fun world of speculation and discussion because that's what sports is. Yeah, it's supposed to be fun. Um but seriously, don't take it one week at a time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, don't. Um, for as much as we've compared Ohio State to Alabama, which we've done, you and Doug, before I joined the beat at Cleveland.com, wrote a really great um, series about Ohio State chasing Alabama, and then, like, the next year they beat Alabama. Um, and since then it's, it's it's been about that. And we, I think you mentioned it last week about Clemson taking Ohio State's place, and, and that's valid and true. Um, so the conversation hasn't been totally what we expected it to be. But – It still always comes back to, is Ohio State truly among the nation's elite? Is it an Alabama? Is it a Clemson? And it hasn't felt like that for a while, and it does feel like they're on that level now. It
2: didn't even feel like that for... (laughs) The year they beat Alabama.
1: Not, yeah, not until they did it. Yeah, Until they did nobody it. Nobody knew Nobody knew they were going to go to the playoff. And I was like, oh, 59 nothing. okay. Yeah, I didn't think but they were going to the playoff. They all picked them to lose to Alabama. Everybody picked them to I mean, and Tim we did, did. I mean, yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't know what other people on the beat did, but everybody, when we were with Doug at Cleveland.com, we all picked a loss. And then I picked them to beat Oregon. So did I. I think Doug picked them to lose, right?
1: I thought that was clear. I said, I sometimes I go back and watch those videos, mostly because I was skinnier back then, and it's just nice to look at sometimes for motivation, you know? Um I said that before that game I thought that Ohio State was better than Oregon at every position other than quarterback and they were going to beat them pretty handily and they did. Are you done? I was going to. Um Yeah.
2: They they look like them.
1: There's no other way to put it. I mean, I What day is the national championship? Okay, let's relax, bud. It's in New Orleans.
2: I hate New Orleans. I know. It's going to be weird for some people. But I don't like it. It's dirty. It That's smells weird. bad. It's humid. And I don't think the food's that good. And he's getting a phone call.
1: Does your phone, sometimes when I get a phone call now, it says like telemarketer or it says fraud risk. Does that happen on your phone? No, I just get told yeah.
2: that the IRS is coming after me for Now I'm getting
1: a call from Westerville, Ohio, and it says political call. I don't know who it is. Maybe it was Doug Call me from a burner phone. He lives in Westerville. Um,
2: None of this should be a surprise, though.
1: I'm surprised. I get your point about that. I'm I'm surprised they look like this. They are super talented. And the the point you made in Final Thoughts when you wrote it after the game about the recruiting classes, like, in theory, yes, any team that has assembled that kind of talent should look like this. They have a brand new head coach and a brand new quarterback, um, a totally new defensive staff. I'm it, surprised they look like this.
2: It should it should be more bumpy in the road. There should be more growing pains. There should be more turnovers from Justin Fields. There should be less continuity on the offensive game planning. Play calling should be kind of weird sometimes as you're trying to figure out what you want to do. Defense needs to, you know, shuffle in new players because there were some old ones last year that. Might not have been getting it done and now are playing like the uh, 2000 uh, Ravens. What year did the Ravens win the Super Bowl?
1: I don't know, but Greg Madison used to be on the Ravens staff, so that might actually be true.
2: Um, Yeah, and they look like a complete team that's been playing together for two years and are firing on all cylinders. I don't know if that is an uh, issue for Urban Meyer to look in the mirror and say, hey, like the coaching staff from last year might be the reason for this, or if it's just everybody's a year better and the scheme is more uh, applicable to the team uh, that's currently on the roster right now, I, I don't know. Uh, that was the coach's job last year to figure that out. So
1: Yeah, but I, I think I, I think there is something to the idea of, and my apologies for this sounding cliche because it will, um, they're very talented but also have a legitimate reason to like feel like they're an underdog.
2: It does sound cliche.
1: But it's true. I think it's true. I don't I think it's hard to to manufacture that identity with a really good team that everyone expects you to be really good. Gabo does it every every week. No. Well, <laughs> they were that. They were they weren't they were not that when this first started. Now they're the opposite of that. Now Clemson is what Ohio State was in 2015 when everybody expected you to be great. And Guess what? Clemson has not looked great. Clemson looks fine, but they look a little sluggish. I wonder
2: if 2019 Clemson is 2015 Ohio State.
1: It might be, but their schedule is easier.
2: Yeah, they don't have to play Michigan State at home.
1: Although that schedule was pretty easy that year.
2: I mean, they lost the only game on their schedule that they couldn't lose.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, that's Ohio State's schedule in 2015. I just mean, What's from a, just
2: to, to continue on with your point, though, that was...
1: But my point is my point is that, that Clemson had talent, and when it was on the come-up, they were really good because they had talent and were also still on the come-up. I feel like Ohio, like for as much as Ohio State can be on the come-up, they are right now. Because they fell off a little bit in the national picture. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And Clemson took their spot.
1: Yeah. And I think that that factors into this.
2: And it should. And you also have a coach, and this is another thing we spoke about in the car. The car is just like the dry run. Um, I wonder how much of Ryan Day still feels like he is on a job interview. He has the job, but I wonder, given the fact that Ohio State just lost a legendary head coach, They didn't do a national job search. People, the second that they lose, will bring that up. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he is approaching every single game like he is preparing them to win the Big Ten championship game. And he's scheming and he's drawing and doodling and in his office, really overthinking every possible aspect, creating the perfect game plan, working like you would in the playoff every week to prove that he belongs in this position. And I think that when you have a coach that has that temperament and to your point doesn't act nervous or... Erratic on the sideline as a result of it could mean a, could be the reason why Ohio State looks the way it looks. Yeah, I, I mean, he might have white hair at the end of the year, but he strikes me as somebody who's very locked in and focused. He doesn't really even seem to be enjoying it all that much.
1: Oh, I think he's enjoying it. He doesn't outwardly enjoying it. I think you can catch him on the sideline sometimes smiling, and he's pretty yeah. loose in press conferences. He's not on edge. I mean, they've they've killed everybody, so that's part of it. Um, But even going like Nebraska going into it was a big deal that came out of it and didn't look like as much of a big deal. But I didn't sense any difference in his demeanor going into what in his mind was a huge game.
2: Absolutely not. But I think that's the point I'm trying to make is that his demeanor can can rub off on the team if it was negative. I think John Cooper's demeanor in the Michigan game through the 90s turned into be that like tense. Oh, no. Nervous energy mm-hmm. that I think rubs off on the team, and that was kind of what I wrote about last and Urban's year. Urban's intensity rubbed off on good ways in yeah. some of those uh, games. And I do yeah. think that your team can inherit the personality of your coach for sure. But I did follow Ryan Day out of the news conference on Saturday night, and I just said, "Dude, are you going to are you going to enjoy this?" And he goes, "Yeah, well, you know, if we don't win next week, he took the one week at a time approach. Everyone, and he's I just supposed to, yeah, he's it. supposed to, but he also. Doesn't feel like they're good yet.
1: He doesn't feel like they've arrived. Which is true. They yeah. haven't. They're on the right track, but they haven't. But
2: I know, but like I do think that there is a certain sense of um of his approach. That has to be impacted by the fact that he is trying to prove that he belongs in this position as a 40-year-old coach who never had to go through the other steps and the proper channels to get to this position. He didn't have to be the head coach at Temple, didn't have to go to Bowling Green, he didn't have to win a MAC championship to be here. And I do think that there are people in this profession that probably resent that, and I think that he was in the right place at the right time, and a lot of which was because he – he put himself in the right place at the right time. He deserves credit for that, but he all know, now he knows, and his whole family knows, the entire state of New Hampshire knows, that if he doesn't win and doesn't have results, that he might be out sooner than most other people would be in this position. Maybe you disagree with that. But this is Ohio State, um, and I think they're approaching it like he's got two years to perform, and if he doesn't, he's gone. And regardless of whether or not that's true or you agree with it, I think that there is something good about that for this team.
1: Yeah, I don't think... I've never at any moment thought that Ryan day was not confident in his ability to do this job or felt that he was undeserving of this job. But I also think he's realistic and knows that he is in a position as a first time head coach at his age that, I mean, I don't even know if anyone's ever been in before to inherit the talent that he inherited to take over the program that he took over for his first job. I mean, I guess Lincoln Riley, but Ohio state's even better, a better job than than Oklahoma.
2: And had Um, way more talent on the physical talent on the roster.
1: Yeah. Um, he's not naive to any of that but I do think <clears throat> a natural human inclination sometimes can be like when you've arrived when you have when you finally get this thing that you've always wanted and it's like even better than you could have possibly imagined you coast a little bit um he's not coasting I think I think he he realizes the situation that he's in how fortunate he is to inherit what he inherited and he wants to prove that he deserves it and I think Ohio State's playing this way partly because of that.
2: Can I throw you a curveball now? I was very good
1: with curveballs, but sure.
2: I'll throw you a one right down the middle, but it's going to be gas. And I led my final thoughts with this, and I asked you in the press box. And I don't know how much time we have left. We got a few. What do you think Urban Meyer is thinking watching this team?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting psychological question uh I, I i think he's happy i think he's certainly happy he drops wheeze all the time when he's talking about ohio state i think he loves it ohio state's going out every week and killing that, everybody. the tweet
2: every sunday the best part, yeah, about best it. part of
1: it yeah yeah um but he's also a super competitive guy and has admitted that you know there were times leading into the season where he wasn't sure if he'd be able to handle it handled not being a coach and i can't imagine that ohio state being this good is doing anything to help that he seems very content and happy with what he's doing. I think he is. I believe it. But that piece of him is never going to go away that wants to be a coach and wants to chase championships. And he helped build a monster that's moving forward without him. And I can't imagine that that sits all that well with him.
2: Your passion is to build a boat. You've built boats before boats that have made it all the way across the ocean. Some boats sink, some don't, boats don't. But you're the best boat maker or one of the best boat makers that I've ever played or I've ever built. Boats. This is a terrible analogy, but we're going to get there, I promise. <laughs> you've already built three boats in the past that have made it across the ocean. Not that many other coaches have done that. And you've made boats that go across the ocean out of fabric, out of two different types of wood. Two programs, right? Two pieces of, two two strands of wood. Did you spend the last, most grueling last five years of your coaching career building the best boat ever? And it might not be the, the best boat in terms of the other boats that he made in the past, but it's definitely a caliber of boat, potentially, that can make it across the ocean in record time. But then you let somebody else sail it. When you stand on the shore watching the boat go away, would you? I, I might hope it crashes.
1: No, I don't think he's there. I don't think he wants high State to fail. I think that's taking it too far.
2: I don't think he wants him to fail. I'm just saying how I might feel. Because you
1: might feel that way I, I Urban Meyer does not want a I would never to fail.
2: just just so everybody is clear. I am not saying that Urban feels that way. I'm saying based on what you said about the human emotion that it would be very easy to fall into that mind frame. I think I would I think it's human nature to say hey I built this and then I handed it off to somebody and now they're going to go be it'd be the same thing like I the, the analogy I used in the press box if I gave you all the quotes I had and all the research I did for this great story and then you wrote a great story and then you won a war for a story that would piss me off. Yeah. You know, and I know it's different because he willingly walked away. But it's kind of a it's kind of a tough situation and I think that based on what you said in terms of coaching being an addiction watching Ohio State succeed with the platform that he built and the talent that he brought in here might make him want to coach again.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't I mean I still again, if anybody asks me if Urban's gonna coach next year, my answer stock answer is no, but I don't I'm not saying he's out of coaching forever. But I could see how Ohio State being as good as it is might stoke those flames a little more. I'd buy that.
2: You Still have it. You still got it, yeah. you know? It's like if you're a pitcher and you retire and then you go to the mound and you throw a hundred mile an hour fastball, you might want to play still. Mm-hmm.
1: I was good with the fastball. How
2: many more analogies that don't make sense do you think I can have before this podcast? Where
1: on the boat are we playing baseball? <laughs> we're playing baseball on a boat that
2: is unsinkable. Okay. That's the uh, phone from our hotel room because they want us to check out, which means that we're probably going to check out of this podcast right now. This is the latest edition of 4 to 6 with A&B. Thank you so much for listening. Um... Next Friday, this coming Friday, we're twice a week. uh, Monday's free on uh, all of your podcast platforms. Friday is the um, show on the Athletic app only exclusively for our subscribers. Um, If you want to sign up for that, uh, please go to theathletic.com slash – 4 6 to sign up, you get 40% off. And if you're listening to us on any of those free platforms right now, feel free and please subscribe, rate, and review us. We thank you so much for being a part of this podcast, and we'll catch you on Friday. Take care.